love one another, forgive, judge not, fear not. It's all such great advice with beautiful outcomes, but none of those principles is a one-step process. So let's talk specifics, the messy step-by-step. Welcome to, but how though, in a bunch of other spiritual conundrums. Welcome back to But How Though and a bunch of other spiritual conundrums. This week I want to talk about something kind of tough and I think it's only tough because of some of the preconceived ideas we have about this topic, which is a faith crisis. Some of the ideas that we have about it, if a person is experiencing a faith, quote, crisis, it's typically because of something wrong that they have done or because of some part of their testimony of whatever truth, faith, or whatever they've had, has diminished and is therefore in danger of being extinguished, to use a flame analogy. But I want to talk about the faith crisis in terms of what it does for a person developmentally, what it really means. So in First John, John is writing some letters in the Bible to the people that were living at Ephesus, and they were having a faith crisis. They were in They weren't exactly sure what to believe doctrine-wise. They were asking themselves questions like, was Jesus the literal son of God made flesh? They weren't so sure anymore. So the nature of these people's questions are laid out in these letters because these letters are specific to this specific group of people. But if we look at this communication generally, we can find some really great parallels to all humanity because we've all been taught stuff right? And some of it has to do with faith and personal beliefs that were handed to us. Some of those beliefs we went ahead and accepted without question. Some of them we didn't. And some of them we accepted without question until we didn't. Maybe those beliefs came from our parents. Maybe they came from a church or a teacher or a political party or a government. And we believed one way, And then suddenly we are re-examining it because we're just not sure anymore. And sometimes the emotions that come as a result of the examination process makes us feel bad about the process, about the questions themselves. Like, does asking this question make me flaky or inconstant? Does it mean I'm a hypocrite? Does it mean... I'm disloyal to the person who originally gave me the information. And we label it a faith crisis because it feels like an emergency, right? It sounds terrifying and full of imminent doom. And it's hard to get through these feelings of doubt and guilt and shame and uncertainty because they do feel like an emergency when you feel them. It feels like I got to get out of this feeling ASAP, but I'm here to tell you those feelings and this examination process is also super helpful because more often than not, when we go all the way through the steps of a faith crisis, not giving up in the middle, but when we go all the way through the process, a faith crisis is more like a faith chrysalis and our faith then can become more of what it's supposed to be on the other side it becomes bigger. It becomes more active. It becomes more autonomous. It's an adult useful version of the childlike tool we held before. 
And honestly, we all have to have a crisis in our faith. I know some people, me making that statement might make them itch. Like, I don't have to have a crisis in my faith. I don't have to question anything. I don't have to. I don't have to. I believe I believe. And that's, that's my superpower. That's my gift. I've always believed. I've never had to question. I get it. But if we don't ask questions, we don't move. Our faith can't actually grow. It can't actually do us any good if we never put it to the test. And testing it does not mean abandoning it or extinguishing it. It doesn't. Asking questions is what leads us to the process of getting more information. If we take the beliefs handed to us, put them in a display case for the world to see, but behind glass so we never actually use our faith, we don't grow. We stay safely wrapped in our untested assumptions, always picturing Team Universe, but never quite knowing them. In chapter 5 of 1 John, John gives us some really sound advice and he bears his witness that we can know. 1 John chapter 5 verse 13 and I'm using the New International Version. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now, that's some pretty bold claims right there. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we've got it. Like, okay. (laughs) This is some stuff that if you don't ask the question, if you don't ever put it to the test, you will never know the depth to which Team Universe can come through on that. If you just accept that at face value and, oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, they hear us. They come through for us. But if we never test it, you're not going to feel that. You're only going to have an academic understanding of faith and connection with Team Universe. But how though, okay, how can we know? Spoiler alert, it's really not by the vague acceptance of what we've been told. It is through personal experience, which Team Universe promises not just to prophets, not just to pastors, leaders, teachers, parents, to everyone personally, which sounds great. But how though? The patterns shown to us through the ages of all the history of human beings on this planet point to the ask, seek, knock recipe. A version of this recipe is in basically every single religious or sacred text on this planet. We got to connect with them and then wait for them to reveal their connection to us, which also sounds great. But how? (laughs) Connecting to them is, in fact, the easy part. Some call it prayer. Some call it meditation. Some call it conversation with a higher power or a future higher version of themselves. I'm not really sure it matters what you call it. What matters is what this connection means to you and how you are willing to engage in that connection. In Christianity, in scripture, there's a lot of recorded prayers of people who are just experimenting with belief. And in my experience, you got to just start with the basics. You start with, are you there? And do you know me? When 
I started there, I had a very personal witness given to me, not in the moment of my prayer, not in the day after my prayer, not in the week following my prayer. It was several weeks, possibly months of praying the same prayer and then watching and waiting and hoping. Just hoping. Then answer, do you know me? Are you really there? That that answer was going to come through. When it did, it was a very personal experience. I cannot even remember if I've shared it on this podcast or not. But there are other recorded experiences like this in sacred texts all over the place throughout history. One that really stands out to me is in a scripture that my church uses called the Book of Mormon. And it was in the Book of Alma in the Book of Mormon in chapter 18. And there was this king and uh, a group of missionaries that believed in Jesus Christ came over to this land where this king ruled. And they were trying to teach these people about God. And these people did not really have organized religious beliefs. So as this missionary is talking to this king the king is like okay I don't know what you what you mean when you say God I don't know what that means and so the missionary started with the king's basic beliefs and it came down to the king believed in something called a great spirit we'll just call that spirit team universe shall we (laughs) and he said this is basically this is God your your belief in team spirit is equivalent to my belief in God this is who we're connecting to it's it's a higher power a benevolent loving power that seeks for your benefit and for your success. That is all you need to know. Is this universe friendly or unfriendly? Does this universe know I exist? Is it aware of my little spark in the world? And does it care whether I live or die? Does it care whether I succeed or fail? That's a very, very basic question to ask. This missionary was tapping into the, the basic beliefs of this king. They kind of come together on this, on this great spirit idea, this God idea. The missionary challenges the king to pray. Reach out. Connect to this power. So this prayer is one of my favorite things ever. He says, Oh God, Aaron hath told me that there is a God. And if there is a God, and if thou art God, wilt thou make thyself known to me? And then he promises like, I will give up my kingdom in order to know that you're there. And he reaches out and he has this like amazing, basically like out of body experience. Okay. That was specific to him, his personal questions and his understanding of the thing he was reaching out to. Right. After you start with the basics of, are you there? And do you know me? You can experiment on something a little deeper. Your chrysalis can become next level. You gradually ask for more. Maybe it's help with or relief from a burden or a problem that you are facing. Because you're tapping into the promise that was made to you, which is the universe exists to support life. Well, supporting life doesn't mean just keep it alive. Supporting life means success over failure, means thriving over the inability to thrive. That is what the universe is set up for. It is set up for your success. So if you're going to tap into that, then maybe the next question besides, are you there and do you know me, is, can you help me with this thing I'm dealing with? Can you relieve some of the burden that's on my shoulders? Can you share it with me and make it lighter? That promise, especially in Christianity, is given over and over and over again 
as Jesus describes his ability to help with burdens. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Cast your burdens on me. That type of language shows his enabling power to join you in your burden and share it. And if the universe really is all powerful, who doesn't want to tap into that promise? All the strength, all the ability, and it's at your disposal. Yeah, I definitely do want to be part of that team. And so maybe that's the next type of question you start asking. Also in the Book of Mormon, there's another guy. His name is Alma. And there's there's several people in that book called Alma. This one was referred to as Alma the Younger. And his dad was a prophet. His dad was the leader of the church and had his own like amazing conversion story. And uh, he has this son, names him Alma. And his son does not believe the same things that he is preaching to the church. And his son Alma, Alma the Younger, starts actively rebelling not only against his father, but against the church in general and actively trying to recruit people away from the church. And his dad is praying for his soul, of course. His dad is so worried and it's really dramatic. I can imagine how awful this the whole situation would be because it is, it is replayed throughout history in families over and over and over again. It is not an uncommon theme. So one day this guy, he has an amazing conversion story as well. And you kind of see his conversion story. It involves like an angel coming and a conversation and him being struck dumb and like losing his strength for three days, kind of being in a coma and, and then eventually coming out of it. But when he's older, he's describing to his sons what that felt like. When he was in his, we'll just call it a coma, he basically was faced with every single thing that he had done and the repercussions of it. He got to see and feel what those consequences were like. It's kind of like step four in the 12-step program, if you're familiar with that, facing down your actions and all of the far-reaching repercussions without excuses. You're not trying to defend them. You're just looking at them. What has occurred as a result of my thoughts, words, actions, and behaviors? What has occurred as a result of that? He describes it as being racked with like the pains of eternal torment. He basically feels like he is in hell facing these things because he feels like this burden is so big. He just wants mountains to fall on top of him and hide him forever because he feels like he is the most awful person on the planet. He's done the most damage and he is the most lost soul. And then... He remembers some of the things his dad had been teaching religiously about Jesus. But let's just let's put it in more general terms than that about team universe, about the fact that there is redemption in changing the course of a life and that the universe is actually set up to help that process, to support that process. And so there's no such thing as a soul so far gone that the universe cannot support the changing of direction toward success, the changing of direction toward love and peace for that person is the universe's job. So there's no such thing as one soul that's so far gone the universe can't handle that. And that is what Team Universe is saying. Every baby born to this planet falls into the category of redemption we can handle. So he remembers those teachings. And he calls on those teachings. Those teachings were taught to him within the infrastructure of Christianity. So he calls out to Jesus and says, oh, Jesus, if 
what my dad said was true about you. Can you meet me here? Even here in the depths of this hell, in the depths of this disgusting, swampy hole that I have dug for myself through my thoughts, actions, and behaviors. I am in this hell hole. Can you meet me here and get me out? That was such a sincere question. And I think that when we, when we are able to do that for ourselves, it doesn't matter if we label who we're reaching out to, if we're reaching out to Jesus, if we're reaching out to God, if we're reaching out to the great spirit, if we're reaching out to team universe, they don't care how we address them. It's not about titles and perfect words. Vulnerability through sincerity is the only thing that is required of us to connect to them. And then our patience and faith is what is required for them to connect to us. Prayer and connection is not a bargaining tool. Team Universe does not need our obedience in order to earn their love and attention. Our obedience is a tool for our gain. It's a tool we got to learn how to use. Yes, but it is not a bargaining thing in order to earn Team Universe's good graces. They're already set up to help us. That's not to say that we can't make promises to them as a show of our faith and our trust and our connection. We absolutely can. That's completely appropriate thing to do. Make promises. We just don't need to use our promises as a way to earn. It's not about deserve. It's about connect and cooperate. Sometimes we might even ask for more than just help with a burden or a problem. We might be asking for actual miracles to unfold all around us if we're to that level in our faith chrysalis. Elisha in the Old Testament is a great example of calling upon Team Universe in order to show his servant what he already believes and what he already can see. So he isn't necessarily asking for more faith or more experiences. He has so much with Team Universe. He totally gets it. What he wants is for his servant to understand they're in the middle. I know we've talked about this on this podcast before, but they're hiding out in the mountains and an entire army has come to kill them. They wake up in the morning. The servant sees the army and freaks out naturally. And Elisha's like, okay, calm down. And then he prays and says, please open my servant's eyes so that he can see what I can see. And the servant's eyes are open and he sees the mountain is full of angels dressed for battle. And in the previous podcast episode that we talked about this story, we talked about the fact that the angels were dressed for battle, but they did not battle that army. They didn't go to battle because they didn't come for that army. They came for Elisha. They came as a show of solidarity so that Elisha and the servant could know who was on their team. They didn't have to prove anything to the other army. The way that they got Elisha and the servant out of the situation was just to hide them as Elisha and the servant walked, walked away, basically. But the angels didn't have to like lift their swords against the opposing army because it wasn't about that. They came for the people who prayed. They came as a show of support from the universe. It's so important that we understand that part of the connection because it makes or breaks our ability to wait for the connection to come back, to be reciprocated when we reach out. We have to understand the levels and the steps in a faith crisis, in asking questions. Because in any miracle, in any given miracle, in any life, in any story, in the entire history of humanity, 
Miracles have the same anatomy. You have an exciting beginning where faith is ignited and shown in order to get the ball rolling. Then you have an extremely messy middle where the steps are occurring, not even necessarily in a linear fashion to make this miracle happen. And then you have a tidy end where things make sense. But we spend most of the time in the middle and it's terrifying because what it feels like is a giant mess that is all your fault. And so the faith that is required to keep walking and keep working through that messy middle, that's the crux of what is required of you. It is terrifying. It is not easy. It is not all rainbows and I reached out and I prayed and I got this miracle the next second. That is not how it works. Almost never is something instantaneous or easy because that is not how relationships are built either. That is not how strength is built. Strength is only built through opposition. Ask any good physical therapist or personal trainer about that and they will tell you, oh yeah, you're not gonna grow that muscle unless you actually oppose it. When I asked for a house, for a new house, I thought I would have to have made huge strides professionally, which would translate into financially, which would be the miracle, right? My situation would change so much that I could afford or earn the miracle of the house. But that is not what happened. Team Universe showed that through my faith and unwavering trust, they could get me a new house without changes to my situation financially that I made happen. And I could see that they could make it happen. Did their path contain fear? Yeah, it scared the hell out of me. So much uncertainty, so much opposition. Did it contain pain? It sure did. I had to face down some serious limiting beliefs. I had to have tough conversations with myself and other people. I had to look at the naked truth about myself and my faith and my thoughts, words, and behaviors without excuses to see how that impacted the rest of the world and then try to grow from it. The middle part of that miracle got messy, extremely messy, but it followed the same pattern as all the other miracles. All the promises were kept every single one. And that is after us reaching out, connecting to the universe. But how they show their connection to us, it's a, it's a much harder piece to the ask, seek, knock recipe than just the asking, seeking part, because it requires patience and faith and action without guaranteed or visible pathways to the outcomes. We can't see where those messy paths are leading. So it is so much harder to stay on them. But Team Universe promised to come through for every baby born to this universe. All connections can be equal. They are no respecter of persons. This is a very hard concept though, okay? Because not all lives are equal. Not all opportunities are equal. Not all suffering is equal. And not all success seems equal. Our connection to Team Universe is personal to our own situations and our own circumstances. Love is the great equalizer in this. And for us to feel that, we got to reach out and then watch and wait for how they will come to us. All the while, our brains will be telling us how they should be showing up and coming to us. And when we don't see it happening in those fashions, we sometimes panic. That's where the crisis, the feeling of crisis comes in. Staying in our lane is sometimes really hard, especially in times of doubt or uncertainty or the flat out crisis, right? Our terrified inner child cries out for certainty and control, which of course we don't and can't have, but dang it, do we try to control the flow of the universe, 
to control the flow of what they already have in process for us. We try to divert it, force it into a tiny little area, which is predictable to us and therefore makes sense. And when Team Universe doesn't come through in those specific ways, sometimes we can't let ourselves believe in them. We want to quit the faith chrysalis process. We want to break out of that cocoon early and just stay a caterpillar because we cannot fathom the changes that are occurring will lead to anything that makes sense. Okay, especially when those changes involve fear, sadness, anger, pain, those difficult emotions that make it feel like a mess and we got to solve the mess because mess feels wrong. But mess is the middle. It's the actual process. So that our chrysalis can become a crisis because we can't handle the waiting and we wanted to divert the flow and control the outcome. And then you hear yourself say things like, I can't believe in team universe or in anything higher than myself because that would mean they're jerks. And only a jerk would ignore this type of plea, this type of prayer. Only a jerk would allow this type of outcome. I prayed for a job. I didn't get one. I prayed for my marriage. We still divorced. I prayed for the life of that person I loved and they still died or suffered or were otherwise lost to me. These are super painful realities. They occur in the messy middle of growing faith. And we limit ourselves sometimes praying for the very narrowest form of a solution for us when really what we need is on a larger scope and scale and Team Universe is working that angle. So we can't or we won't see what they've already got in the works because we only are looking at it through a tiny pinhole. Through the last couple of years, I've really had to focus on four major themes of seeing the way Team Universe comes to me to connect and seeing the way that they are actively engaged in my life on the daily. Because I know my process of reaching out. I know the words that I have said. I know the ways in which I've tried to connect to them. But seeing them engaged in my life daily is sometimes trickier. The first one is let go. <laughs> it sucks. We also know it in our modern vernacular as stay in your lane. Our lane is actually much smaller than we would like to believe. So much smaller than we want it to be because we love control. We love predictability. And staying in our lane means letting go of those two things because there's a lot the team universe is working on and they're very good at, but it's behind the scenes. We, we can't see it, therefore we can't predict its outcome. That is hard. I'm sorry, it's just hard. When a couple years ago, I was asked to speak to a group of youth in a different state and I wasn't gonna fly out there to be with them. This is pre-Zoom, by the way, okay? This is pre-pandemic. So they wanted me to do like a phone-in conference with them and do my presentation just online. And I was terrified. I've never done that before. I was always speaking to groups face-to-face, -face, you know, where I can like get the feedback of the energy from the room and know how my message was coming across and know what changes I need to make in order to be more charming to have the message come across the way that I wanted it to, right? And I was told that they had a tech specialist that was going to be working on the technical methods, whether it was going to be through Skype or Google Hangouts, because it was pre-Zoom. There were three elements to this in my mind, right? The technology element, which I didn't understand, but was terrified would go wrong. The energy element to, are these people going to feel what I want them to feel? Can I convey the message I want to convey 
online, like if I'm not in the same room as them, are they going to feel the spirit of what I'm saying? And it was really interesting while I was like completely stressing over the two parts of this (laughs) that I couldn't control, which is the technology and the um, spiritual reception of the audience. I wasn't even paying attention to my actual lean, which was the only thing I could control, which was my presentation. And I'm praying about it and I'm praying about it. And I get the most gentle (laughs) and stern answer. Rach, your job is the presentation. My job is the spiritual conveyance of your message. And I'm really good at my job. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll just get working on my presentation. But it was such a good learning experience for me to realize what my lane means. When you are cooperating with a team, you have a job and other people have jobs. It's really hard to let someone else do their job when you cannot visibly predict what's going to happen when they do their job. But it is imperative so that you can see when they come through what that looks like and what that feels like. It's part of their connection to you. It's part of them proving to you just how well they know you and just how well they know the situation. So you've got to stay in your lane. And another thing I had to learn was to widen the lens because sometimes we add our own ideas to inspiration that we get. We get very simple instructions as to the next step and we want to add our own thoughts to it because we want to have a why. We want to have a why before the tidy end. We want to have a why during the messy middle. And so we will receive a very simple instruction. Like uh, for me, it was, okay, you're going to move. This is last year. You're going to move on April 30th. And in my mind, that's because I'm going to have found my house. I'm attaching all kinds of meaning to it of where I'm moving. In my mind, that means I have been promised my house. And so in the middle of April and then towards the end of April and then on April 30th, I still don't have a house and I got to move. And how everything worked together was to move into my in-laws basement. That was the solution that presented itself. And I was so mad (laughs) at that solution because that felt very like plan B-ish and very wrong. And I was like, hey, wait a minute, team universe. You promised I would be moving into my new house by May 1st. And the answer was like, no, we said you'd move on May 1st. It's all still in process. Keep going. That was really hard to me because I had attached my own meaning to the very simple instruction, which was move on uh, April 30th, right? But I, I had to have a why. And we do this to ourselves all the time. We try to understand while we're still in the middle by attaching different things to our little inspirations and to our little revelations because we want to know why from the outset. But that is not how learning occurs. The next thing I had to learn was to just go with it. I got several lessons during this whole like house miracle that I've talked about a million times. I know I'm so sorry that were like labeled in really small and simple phrases. And one of the lessons was never waste a connection. That's a very small and simple phrase, but it was very direct in what it meant, which was when you see a person And your usual MO, Rachel, is to pretend that you don't know that person or that you didn't see that person that you do in fact know. I don't care if that person was from your first grade birthday party. You are not going to pretend you don't know that person. 
you are going to walk up and acknowledge the connection. And it was hard for me because I don't like awkward conversations and I don't like putting other people into awkward situations. Like if they don't remember me, it's going to put them in a very awkward situation if they're that, you know, from way far back. Well, during that lesson, I ran into Dr. Allie Mangrum. I've had her on my other podcast a couple of times and we aired one of the interviews on this podcast. And I knew her from childhood and had not seen her since we were teenagers. And I saw her at a high school wrestling meet where where both of our children were wrestling. And I felt that nudge. Do not waste this connection. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is awful. I have to go up to this woman who guaranteed does not remember me. And and then just what? Ask for the last 20-year update in a five-minute conversation in the gym while she's trying to watch her son? Like that does not seem polite. <laughs> that does not seem like a really socially considerate thing to do. But the nudge was real. I could not deny the shift of gravity I felt with the nudge. It was definitely Team Universe cooperating with me. And so I went and I did it. And that connection, I had no idea why that connection happened. I saw her again the next day at a different event. And I was like, okay, this, there's no way this can be a coincidence. And she was thinking the same thing. She was like, this is weird. I feel like this means something. And I said, I know this is super weird. And I feel like it means something too. Guess what? We didn't know. We didn't know what it meant. We had no idea. The whole lesson in there was just to go with it. Eventually, she has become an instrumental part of my life in handling my own anxiety and and understanding some of my own psychological things that I'm dealing with, as well as helping some of our listeners gain insight into some of the psychological things that they're dealing with, which is amazing, amazing that Team Universe knew what she knew, knew what I knew, knew who she knew, knew who I knew, and was able to put that together in a way that was beneficial for some people that needed it right when they needed it. I mean, it was like so masterfully orchestrated. It was shocking. Recently, I went back to school. It has been such an interesting process to cooperate with Team Universe on this going back to school project because the just go with it attitude has had to come into play in several instances where my personality is screaming, I can't just go with it. I can't just let whatever happens happens, man. I do not have that kind of hippie living inside me. (laughs) I am a control freak on the inside when it comes to things that test me emotionally. I really love the control and predictability when I feel afraid. Going through this whole school process has been so interesting in learning how to let go and learning to just go with a little piece of inspiration I might get that makes zero sense. The final thing I really had to learn through this process is that it's not happening to you. It's happening for you. And this is important when you have little teeny inconveniences and annoyances in your life. It's also important for when you have big deviations from your plans. The idea that the universe is set up for your success. So no matter what happens, that experience or that thing that is occurring, that is unfolding can be maximized for your benefit is an underlying belief that can carry you through basically anything. But if you're good with the staying in your lane, the widening your lens and the just going with it, then understanding that things are happening for you and not to you is going to make all the difference for how you face adversity and opposition. 
It is going to make all the difference in your stamina through these exhausting experiences. When you can understand that whatever is unfolding is happening for you, it kind of gives you a little bit of an extra boost of stamina, an extra dose of patience, an extra dose of curiosity instead of despair. It's asking, then waiting and watching. Keep going. Keep doing your thing with your eyes wide open. And then you can know that Team Universe knows you because the ways that they will come through will be so personal. They'll be so tailored to you. There will be times when it won't feel that way. There will be because that is the mess of the middle. That's the time you've got to dig in and go with it. Trust just enough to keep walking and watching even when it feels like that clock is ticking the time away and you're behind and a miracle can't occur and they can't be there because of it. Keep walking. All the right doors will open just in time. That's all I got for this week. I'm Rachel Larson. Please join me again next week and we will tackle another but how though question. Also, if you have a question on your heart that you would like to discuss with someone, please hit me up. I love those kinds of discussions and I would love to hear from you. And if you're in the middle of questioning big or maybe even basic things about Team Universe and you feel like you are in a faith crisis instead of a faith chrysalis, please know the burden of proof isn't on you. It isn't on me either. The burden of proof is on the team that made the promises in the first place. And they are able to bear witness of themselves. They are able to do their own work. Team Universe does not break its promises. And they are waiting to connect with us. So go ahead and ask your questions. Even, but how though? <laughs>